Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. Man, do we got a show lined up for you guys to finish the week strong. Got my buddy Ty Richardson, host of the Morning Rush there in Arkansas. Going to talk a lot of news down there in Fayetteville. So going to get cut over to Ty in just a minute here. Uh, news all across the SEC and the transfer portal now that it's officially closed. Got some interesting data here to break down. We'll get into all of that, but uh, let's get right into it. And like I said, we'll touch on more of this with the tie, but big news out of Fayetteville. Kendall Browse, get the hell out of here. Before TCU even had an opportunity to name Kendall Browse as the new offensive coordinator, Sam Pittman has named Dan Enos the new slash old offensive coordinator for them Arkansas Razorbacks. Dan Enos, of course, was offensive coordinator from uh, 2015 to 2017 under Brett Bielema. Previously worked with Sam Pittman when Pittman was the offensive line coach. And, man, they had quite the combination back then. If you remember the Brandon Allen, Austin Allen times, uh, this specifically was when Brandon Allen was the quarterback, and he was pretty outstanding. In fact, during Dan Eno's previous tenure there at Arkansas, they were one of two FBS programs to have a 3,000-yard passer and a 1,300-yard rusher in both the 2015 and 2016 seasons. Enos was previously the offensive coordinator at Maryland, where their quarterback, Baby Tua, Talia Tungavalaioa, however you say it, 68% completions, nearly 7,000 passing yards, 44 touchdowns, 19 interceptions. The last two seasons combined for Talia Tungavaloa working with Dan Enos. And I hear he's mixed in a lot more of the RPO. So I'd like to go back and watch some Maryland football. He got that influence from Mike Loxley that I think he's going to have to have to really maximize K.J. Jefferson's abilities. And how about this? Doing a little bit of research here. One of my favorite sites, I credit them all the time when we're talking analytics, the Fiermo Efficiency Index, Football Outsiders. Go check them out if you're not already. They have historical data, and they keep it uh, week by week also during college football seasons. But you can actually go back year by year, see the efficiency, offensive, defensive, many other numbers there on Football Outsiders. And I was stunned. Was not out here trying to seek great stats here for Dan Enos or anything, but 2015, when Arkansas went 8-5, and five, Started really slow, but they finished strong. That was the last season that Dan Enos served as offensive coordinator and Sam Pittman served as the offensive line coach at Arkansas. According to Football Outsiders, Arkansas had the number one offense in the country when you're going off efficiency, and that's what you all should be. Don't look at yards. <laughs> that. If you're looking at total yards, which I guess they were good at that too, but total yards are are irrelevant in the modern era. It's all about efficiency. How well do you do against quality competition? Arkansas had the best offense in the country. So 
that's wild to think about. And if you missed it, uh, what was it, last week, we broke down the offensive play caller numbers for guys in the SEC. And that data, of course, came via Adam McClintock, CFB professor. Dan Enos, last season at Maryland, rated as a better play caller than Kendall Browse, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, many, many others. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Now, Adam did, because I put that on Twitter, and Adam was quick to point out, just because a guy rated better last season doesn't, you know, we don't trash uh, their entire career. Not saying that Dan Enos is better than Lane Kiffin, certainly as a as a play caller historically, or Mike Leach, anything like that. But as far as just last season, and this was adjusted for talent that he had to work with, again, I think that's critical. Dan Enos rated better than some of the big names in the SEC and, of course, your previous offensive coordinator. So not 100% sold that this is like a massive upgrade over Kendall Browse. I was one of the biggest Kendall Browse homers. I don't know if that man is ever welcome back in the natural state ever again. But if I'm an Arkansas fan, I'm pretty fired up about this hire. I know I was a bit doom and gloom on the next, on the last episode. And, you know, I just thought we were taking a big step back on both coordinator roles. And now it looks like, you know, maybe even, if not, maybe a potential upgrade going from Kendall Browse to Dan Enos. Very interested to see how K.J. Jefferson fits into Dan Eno's system. Now, other big news here in the SEC, Ole Miss, they ain't slowing down when it comes to the transfer portal market. They have apparently added, I don't know that they've announced it, but uh, many outlets, including Chris Lowe, ESPN, I believe he broke the news. Spencer Sanders, former Oklahoma State quarterback, transferring to Ole Miss. He was the starting quarterback at Oklahoma State for four seasons. Completed over 61% of his passes, 9,553 passing yards, 67 passing touchdowns, 40 interceptions. It's kind of a high number there. But nearly 2,000 rushing yards, 1,956 total in four years, 18 rushing touchdowns, a real dual threat quarterback on his way to Oxford. And, of course, on the last episode, we talked all about Walker Howard. Go back and check that out, committing to Ole Miss. Had our buddy Michael Katz on the line to talk about that, as well as the Spencer Sanders speculation. But it's hard not to read into this and say Kiffin must not be sold on Jackson Dart. And that doesn't mean Jackson Dart's leaving. I've seen some people jump to that conclusion. But you don't add a guy like Spencer Sanders. He ain't coming to sit the bench. He's coming to play. He's coming to start. And we are going to have one hell of a competition. And I assume Walker Howard, same deal. They must have told him that he will be able to compete for the starting role because otherwise he's just going to be in the same position he was at LSU, having to sit, getting third-string reps. So now we've got a a three-man race when a couple – literally a week ago we had a one scholarship quarter – well, I guess they signed a high school kid. So two scholarship quarterbacks with one – I don't even know if he's got to campus yet to all of a sudden, maybe the most intriguing quarterback competition in the SEC this spring, Jackson Dart, Walker Howard, Spencer Sanders. It'll be fascinating to see how this plays out. But again, it goes back to what I said with Michael. 
Katz on the last episode, Lane Kiffin is not taking last season's failings sitting down. He's fixed the defense, something he desperately needed to do. Now he's loading up on the game's most important position. We'll see how this uh, translates. Again, in, in today's modern era, quarterbacks don't like competition. But I'd, any quarterback that runs from competition is not a great quarterback, in my opinion. So it's going to be fascinating to see how all this plays out. Now, two little quick items here for arguably the two best programs in the SEC. But could they be losing their offensive play callers? Two reports here. From uh, Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, Bill O'Brien, Alabama offensive coordinator, has interviewed to be the new New England Patriots offensive coordinator. We knew this was likely coming, but nothing official to this point in time. But this is the first step towards Bill O'Brien leaving Alabama, which is expected. Could happen at any point in time. So that's pretty interesting. Cannot wait to see where Alabama goes there. The name I keep hearing is Jeff Lebby, the current Oklahoma offensive coordinator that was at Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin a season ago. It's going to be pretty interesting. I'm not saying that's going to be the hire, but I've, I've heard that from a couple people. They'll be interested in Jeff Lebby. And then this is the big one to watch. Todd Munkin, Georgia's outstanding offensive play caller, a name to watch whatever the hell that means, for the uh, Tampa Bay offensive coordinator job. Again, according to Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, one of the best out there, knows what he's talking about. It doesn't just throw out stuff. I mean, anytime he reports something, it's legitimate. So, Todd Bunkin, Bill O'Brien, if Georgia and Alabama have an offensive coordinator openings at the same time, it's going to be really interesting to see, particularly if Nick Saban and Kirby Smart start competing for the same guy no idea that that would actually happen, but it sure would be fun to see. I, I think Georgia, and at the same time, I mean, it's like a 180. Georgia fans don't want to lose Todd Munkin. Why would you? Biggest coordinator hire of Kirby Smart's era down there, in my opinion. And then Alabama fans can't wait to get rid of Bill O'Brien. <laughs> so uh, the dichotomy there is, is pretty fascinating. But all right, as promised, transfer portal rankings discussion here before we get to our interview with Ty Richardson I kind of broke this down in as many possible ways as I could I'm going to start out by just running down the list here of the number of players per school to enter the transfer portal since it opened what was that at uh late November, early December, whenever the hell that was but Texas A&M led the way with 25 players to hit the portal Ole Miss, 24, Arkansas, 23, Florida, 22, Alabama and Missouri each had 15, LSU, Kentucky, and South Carolina all had 13, Mississippi State and Tennessee each had 12, Auburn and Georgia each had 9, and Vanderbilt, fewest to hit the portal with 8 in the SEC. But that does not paint the complete picture. Because I've broken it down, most players lost that signed with an SEC program, most players lost that signed with the Power 5 program, 
as well as signees. You got to obviously take that into consideration. So, for example, Ole Miss lost 24. 24 Ole Miss players entered the portal. Only six of them landed at a Power 5 school. So, I mean, I'm not trying to discredit all the guys that jumped in, but clearly uh, not elite caliber if only six out of 24 landed at a Power 5 institution, whereas Texas A&M, you led the way with 25. 13 of those players did end up at the Power 5 level. So that's, that's tough to swallow right there. Alabama and Florida each lost 10 players that landed at Power 5 schools. Arkansas lost 8, LSU 7, and those are your leaders out of the SEC. So following all this transfer portal madness, who are the biggest winners? Who are the biggest losers? Biggest pickup? Biggest loss? I've got all that. And again, this is just my opinion, but after looking at all this data, I think I'm, I could comfortably say the teams that I think came out well, teams that suffered the most. And I think the biggest winner, and this is a big reason why I think they're headed towards a nice turnaround season here. Auburn led the way. They signed the most players from other SEC schools, and they lost only one player that jumped to another Power 5 school, which led the way. So Auburn had nine players jump into the portal. Only one landed out of Power 5 institutions. So, so losing another eight guys that didn't really end up anywhere, that's, it doesn't hurt you. And you signed more former SEC players than anybody. You signed six from the Power Five. Auburn, really good job under Hugh Freeze, shoring up some deficiencies as well as hitting positions of need. How about Tennessee? I didn't realize this at the time, but uh, they just added another one here on Thursday. Of all the SEC teams, they signed the second most Power Five players here. Tennessee got seven from the Power 5 ranks, and they didn't lose a single player to another SEC team via the transfer portal. That's why I consider Tennessee a winner. Kentucky, big winner, filling biggest needs here. Quarterback, of course. Running back, arguably got the top two in the portal, and they shored up the offensive line, added some talent, added some depth. Kentucky, massive winners here, and and quite possibly the most impactful transfer portal period for any SEC team is the Kentucky Wildcats. I'm also throwing LSU into this mix. They signed more Power 5 players out of the transfer portal than anybody. They signed 11, but they also lost seven players that signed with other Power 5 teams. So you signed the most, but uh, you were also in the top five for losing the most to the Power 5. Otherwise, I'd have you a little bit higher up this list. Now, biggest losers of this transfer portal period, I mean, I think it kind of goes without saying, Texas A&M, you lost more players to the portal, not only in the SEC, than anybody in the country. You lost the most players to the Power 5 level out of among all SEC teams, and you tied for the most players to leave for another SEC institution. So, A&M already had depth issues last season. That may be another issue after signing only two players. Now, they, they signed two good players out of the portal. But, uh, again, depth could be an issue. Florida tied for the most players to leave 
for another SEC school, and you had the second most players leave to go to the an, another Power Five school with 10 players that left for the Power Five. And then finally, Alabama. Again, I, I mean, the signs are there. Alabama's, they're getting hit hard. Second most players to leave for, the, for another Power Five school with 10, along with Florida. And they only signed one player out of the portal. So they... They're relying on their incredible high school class. I get it. But uh, how many of those guys are going to be able to come in year one, make an instant impact for a team that uh, has aspirations to win the SEC, win the national championship? That's a lot to ask of those players. Now, the biggest pickup of all the transfer portal additions during this period, in my opinion, Dominique Lovett to Georgia from, of course, Missouri. I think he's he's got the potential to really blow up. And, and the more I thought about it, I think we are talking about this on the last episode, just his ability to have such high production playing in a offense that the scheme was not great. The quarterback for the most of the season, not great. Missed uh, some, some action due to injury, yet – Highly, highly productive. Big play receiver should slide right into the starting spot there in Athens and provides something that the Georgia simply did not have. And now with A.D. Mitchell gone, even more balls are probably going to be thrown Dominique Lovett's way. So I love that pickup for Georgia. I think that was the biggest pickup of the transfer portal window here out of the SEC. Biggest loss? I hate to do it. hate to pile on, but... I think it's Ray Davis, Vanderbilt running back. He was just such an integral part of what they did last season, really got hot and uh, was a big part in their wins over Kentucky and Florida. That was a massive, massive loss that uh, I don't know if Vanderbilt will be able to replace his production. While Kentucky, there's opportunities with Chris Rodriguez off to the NFL, Cavassier Smoke. I think he went to Colorado or something. So big, big loss there for Vanderbilt, losing Ray Davis, not only losing him, but losing him to a division foe. That's a tough pill to swallow. That's all I got on this uh, transfer portal madness. I think I'm going to be tweeting out some of these figures. A lot of data here. I don't want to sit here and read from this list. I know how boring that is. So you know who's not boring? Our guest, Ty Richardson, host of the Morning Rush out of Arkansas, touched on a lot of topics here, and uh, Ty's always a good conversation. So let's kick it over to our interview with Ty Richardson. All right, we're pleased to uh, once again be joined by a friend of the show, Ty Richardson. Of course, you know him, host of the Morning Rush every morning, 6 to 9 a.m., Monday to Friday. Give him a follow at Ty Sports Radio. How's it going, brother? Mike, it's great to be back with you, man. I know we've talked the last couple of days. It has been a wild ride lately in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Basketball team, football program, and the moving parts. Man, it's it's good to be back talking all SEC, all SEC themes with Michael Brad. Yeah, and adding to all that, Ty, you reminded me just before we started recording. Sad day, man. Tuss the fifth passes. I mean, how long do these Razorbacks live? Isn't he, wasn't he only like five years old? Yeah, so he took over for his father, Tuss the Fourth, uh, back in 2019, and uh, unfortunately died of natural causes right outside of Darnell, Arkansas. 
Um, so it's, it's a sad day and sad, really, year, Razorback country. The basketball team hasn't won to start 2023. Some are really sad. Kimmel Bryles is gone. Tuss the fifth has died. This has not been a great start for Hog fans this year, and hopefully the basketball team picks it up. Baseball starts rocking and rolling, and the football team over-delivers on expectations. Right, and maybe the only thing uh, more dead than Tusk is uh, Kendall Browse's time in the SEC. I don't know if he'll ever be welcomed back in this conference. Thoughts on that right out the gate, Ty, this broke. Um, You know, what was it, Wednesday? And literally it seemed like 30 minutes, an hour later, we already got our new offensive coordinator, a familiar face, of course, Dan Enos, back in Fayetteville, and that's already official. But let's focus on Kendall Bryles first. Uh, are, are Arkansas fans, I know some are always kind of mixed on him to begin with, but damn near every offensive coordinator job in the country that came open, we had to hear, Kendall Bryles is a candidate. They're going to make an offer to Kendall Bryles. Oh, we got to get him a pay raise. Uh, even the biggest Kendall Bryles fans have got to be happy we don't have to deal with this nonsense every other uh, coaching change, right? Yeah, it sure seems like with Miami and Mississippi State and then now with TCU. Now, I don't know how much leg there was to the Miami thing and then the Mississippi State. There seems to be some There seemed to be some truth to that. And then, of course, TCU, based on what has happened the last couple of days, of course, there was an actual movement on Kendall Bryles getting back to Fort Worth. I think on – the subject of Bryles, he had success at Arkansas in certain states. What irritated fans the most is when he tried to pull these Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, Kansas City Chief plays for an offense that's more like the Dallas Cowboys. I made this comparison many times on our show. K.J. Jefferson is more like Dak Prescott than Patrick Mahomes. We have more of a rushing attack, fundamentally sound, run the football, be tough. Mahomes and company, they can throw it all over the yard. They can do all these trick plays. And even losing Tyreek Hill, they're still a wagon this year. Number one seed in the AFC. We don't have that personnel. And I felt like Bryles sometimes thought he was being a meter read and did these stupid things that we knew weren't going to work when he was having success doing the, just the simple thing. So I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and belittle him because I think he did have success at Arkansas and he was instrumental in KJ's progression. But I'm the only one because every other Arkansas fan I've seen has ripped him on the way out and won't be sending him a thank you card, Mike. But so now moving on from him, we got Dan Enos back to Fayetteville after being at uh, Maryland under Mike Loxley. I believe uh, prior to that, he had a short stint in Miami. He was at Alabama. But of course, Razorback fans know him as being the offensive coordinator under Brett Bielema. And if you look at the times, when Sam Pittman was the offensive line coach and Dan Enos was the offensive coordinator, I mean, we're talking some of the most prolific offenses in school history. Um, how is this hire being received within the fan base? Mike, according to ESPN's FBI, it was the most efficient offense that season in the SEC and I think in college football. That's insane. And while they did lose to Toledo that year where they were anything but efficient in that game offensively, Arkansas found something in 2015 with the development of Brandon Allen. I think B.A., now he's in the midst of getting ready for a playoff game against the Bills, but I think he'd tell you once he has time that Danny Enos was so such a big part of his success in his final season at Arkansas. And you point to Maryland and Talia Tungabaloa, 
I couldn't tell you who the Miami quarterback was, but I know he helped out Jalen Hurts as the QB coach at Alabama. And one of the main reasons that Hurts stayed on board is because of Dan Enos. Now, this isn't the best offensive coordinator hire that Arkansas could have made, and it's not the worst. It's in the middle. The thing about Enos that I want to know, he's he's kind of adapted to that RPO style if you go watch his offenses last year. How can he recruit relative to some of the other OCs and head coaches in this league? Head coaches are always going to be the alphas, but can you stack up? Can you go get a kid in Louisiana? Can you go get a kid in Texas? Can you go get a kid in Alabama? Can you go get a kid in Oklahoma that has other interest in a bunch of different places? Can you win those mono mono battles against some other top dog elite recruiters? That's the question I think a lot of people have about Dan Enos, not his quarterback guru. Uh, what he's shown in the past. So based on what you said there, uh, you know, he's embraced the the RPO at Maryland. Does that help, obviously, with uh, K.J. Jefferson? Uh, he's inheriting. How, how do you think that marriage works, uh, K.J. Jefferson playing under Dan Enos? I think that if he brought that pro style that they ran more or less back in 2015, this would be an, a walking disaster. I mean, Jim Chaney before – we had joked about a former assistant of Sam's and colleagues of Sam was coming back and everyone was like, please don't be Jim Chaney, please. And you know, you know, the Jim Chaney experience in Tennessee and then Georgia. I mean, I know that this guy's heralded as a, a guy that's been in the league for a while, but I think the, the offensive game has passed him by a little bit. So Enos has adjusted. He's going to have to adjust back to the Southeastern Conference, and he's going to have to figure out what works and what doesn't work with KJ. KJ is not Hinton Hooker. He's not Bryce Young, but he's going to be one of the top five quarterbacks in the league coming back next year. Now, that's not to say uh, some others can't surpass him because I think he was th thought of as that way this year, and you had some other guys like Hooker who took that giant step that – KJ just didn't take. Uh, it doesn't have to be a Hendon Hooker step, but there needs to be a step from last year. And Mike, part of that's just staying healthy, man. Staying in the pocket sometimes, making the right reads, making the right throws, and hitting the ones that are open because he had a bunch of throws last year where guys were open. He just missed them. I'm glad you went there, Ty, because I do want to ask you, you know, if you could put like a percentage point. I know we, we haven't even had spring football yet or anything like that, but if you could put a percentage point on how likely it is that K.J. Jefferson, by the end of the season, is the SEC's best quarterback. Because we, there's still a lot of talented players in this league, but most of the star power at the quarterback position has moved on to the NFL. And I think K.J.'s got to be in the, the top three discussion uh, right now. What's your confidence level that he can take that next step? Well, I want to see what Bobby Petrino can do with the – quarterback room at A&M, we know he's always going to be a guy that's heralded as this quarterback whisperer. Uh, you go to Oxford, what's going on there? I mean, they they bring in Howard. They uh, supposedly brought in Spencer Sanders. Dart, I think, is still there unless that's not happening. So that's pretty crazy to me. Um, the guys that he's like definitively behind, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Rattler's going to have something to say about it. He's back for another season. I mean, Hooker's gone. We know Bryce Young is gone. Will Levis is gone. I'd probably say Will Rogers is number one. Any pushback on that, Mike? Um, you know, honestly, I would actually take KJ over Will Rogers just based on the okay. fact that he's a hell of a lot more mobile. And I think that's just so important in today's modern college football. You know, it's it's much easier to defend 10 than it is 11, which you have to do with – you have to respect KJ's legs. 
What about KJ or excuse me, Jaden Daniels? Yeah, he's he, a guy last year that had really good games, played horrible against Arkansas, was just awful and made no sense. They ate him alive that game. But I mean, you think about the game against Alabama, the walk off he had to Mason Taylor. Right. And I, I think you nailed it. I think those are the three right now KJ, Jaden Daniels, and Will Rogers. So I'm not trying to totally disrespect Will Rogers. Those right now are, are my top three. And, uh, you know, basically the rest of the league, you're looking around, you're waiting for someone to elevate because there's a lot of unknowns. And I think that will make for a, a fun SEC season because we just don't know who's going to step up. Does Milton have anyone to throw the ball to with Hyatt gone? Uh, I, that kid, you talk about a guy that I love. I was, we haven't talked in a minute, but I was all, on every doorstep saying that Hendon Hooker should have won the Heisman Trophy. And I was glad that Hyatt won the Blitnikoff because he deserved every bit of it, not just for his Alabama performance, but what he did all season. Right. Does Milton have any, because I, I think Milton, Hypel showed you what he can do in, in just a few short. I think he, I think Milton could explode again in Knoxville, to be honest. I know they got to go to Tuscaloosa, but I think that's a guy that, could definitely sneak in that top three category, Mike. Well, I tell you what, Ty, you just gained some listeners on Rocky Top. That's <laughs> at Ty Sports Radio. But yeah, they got Brew McCoy back. He was really their number two, number three. Ramel Keaton. He he stepped up when Cedric Tillman went down. He's a nice player, but who you got a, the next name to know? And I think he could be a household name by next year. Squirrel White. He's the one that stepped up for Jalen Hyatt in the Orange Bowl. Made some huge plays. He, and he he was a true freshman that was kind of relegated to the second team. So he already had that rapport with Joe Milton. Uh, so watch out for those guys. And I hate, I hate I'm not trying to, uh, you know, make you feel bad or anything, but uh, they got a kid, Ch Chaz Nimrod from Arkansas, was also a <laughs> freshman. He was supposed to step up and be a big-time player. He got hurt in camp, but okay. they, love, they love Chaz Nimrod. So that's a name to know as well. Chaz Nimrod, that is uh, one of the best names that will be in college football <laughs> next year. Wow. But, hey, it's not just the offensive uh, staff that's being changed in, there in Fayetteville. The defensive staff, obviously, as well. Barry Odom off the UNLV. I thought that was an interesting move. Uh, but, but they bring in Travis Williams, who I, I put this out there and I stand by it. I think he's going to be one of the best assistant coach recruiters in the entire SEC, he spent time at Auburn. They hired him from uh, Central Florida down there with Gus Malzahn. Very well-respected guy. Uh, what's What are you hearing about Travis Williams, who's – I think he's been on campus about a month now. Well, it sure seems like he's, as you said, got a respect from a lot of people in this league uh, as not just a player but as a coach. Gus Malzahn had nothing but glowing things to say about him. And – you just got to bring in some dudes. Williams has had a good track record at Auburn and at UCF and uh, various other places. Got Antonio Greer to uh, – I can't remember if he signed or committed or not. I, I got to go back and double-check the kid out of USF that was going to go to UCF, but Williams bolted. That, that's just the thing, man. You lose Drew Sanders. You lose Jordan Dominic. You lose a lot of defensive pieces, including Jalen Catalan, who's going back to Austin. You got to get some guys, and if you don't have any guys, you can't compete in this league. I mean, there's guys on the outside each and every week in the Southeastern Conference that will burn you with four four speed and six three six four frames. And if you don't have cornerbacks, if you don't have guys that are getting in those QBs' face faces, you're going to give up in a considerable amount of points. So uh, I think that's the when Razorback fans are. It's kind of like the Enos thing. It's like Williams, coach, you gotta you gotta get some dudes in here and. 
once he does that, I think uh, I think it'll pan out. Right. Well, that, that kind of leads into my next question, Ty. I wanted to ask you just, you know, what is the current state of the program? Because, you know, this time last year we were singing the praises of Arkansas all offseason. Didn't go as well as expected. But I think primarily that had to do with injuries and losing tight one-score ball games that they were winning the year before. But every team in the SEC can make excuses. I've also heard, you know, there was some locker room issues. I've heard there was some drama in the coaching staff. And now that the coaching staff and the roster, 20-plus players in the transfer portal and, and several signed out of the portal, maybe those issues have all gone away. Um, what's your confidence level that uh, Sam Pittman and company can right this ship and get back to 8-9, maybe even a 10-win season? I want to say this. I accidentally ran into a former Razorback player in the tin roof on Demumbrian in Nashville. And this is a guy that decided to transfer and did not have good things to say about the situation when he left. Now, we got to put that in the category. It's a former player. A lot of times former players don't have good things to say about the previous coaching staff, whatever the case may be. But that was the underlying story of this team this past season was locker room issues and stuff. I can't detail which player did what, what coaching staff member did what, what were the the big issues, but you got to, hopefully it's been flushed out. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see, but this was not a program that was seamless throughout the year. And there were some issues that coach Pittman probably had to address in that locker room that uh, did, he didn't have to two years ago because of the fact that he had so many super seniors and every guy seemed to be on board. Uh, that wasn't the case last year. So now coming off a, what was considered a disappointing season. This is a big year for Sam Pittman. You had to hire a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator. The program is uncertain right now. It's not a bad place. It's not a great place. It's just uncertain. This year's going to tell us a lot about this football coach, Mike. All right, last thing I got for you, Ty. I, I had to bring this up before letting you go. I want to throw it back to the last time we had you on the show. It was leading up to that Texas A&M game, that damn house of horrors down there in Arlington oh, for, yeah. for Arkansas fans. Uh, let's kick it over to Ty, who said Texas A&M, the biggest losers in college football. <laughs> when you think about two of the most arrogant fan bases in all of sports, it's Texas and Texas A&M. I will give the Longhorns credit. They actually win championships in certain, and they've been to two national championships in the last two decades. I will give them that. Texas A&M has the same level of arrogance that Texas has, but there's nothing to back it up. Texas has some stuff to back it up. I know it's older in some cases, but they have stuff to back it up. A&M doesn't at all. I, outside the oil money, that is the only only level comparison between the Longhorns and the Aggies is the oil money. There's nothing else. They got the worst colors, the worst uniforms in all of college football. They have the worst tradition in all of college football, and they are the biggest losers in the Southeastern Conference. I have never met a fan base outside of maybe Missouri that I would like to hang out with least. I mean, it is amazing. And I know they are – and I'll listen, they have some blue collar to them. I get that. But the Aggie yell is the worst tradition in sports. It is embarrassing that they continue to trot up those just plain Jane losers 
on Friday night before games and spit out some of the most idiotic stuff I've ever heard in my entire life. It's a joke. College Station is a terrible place to live, raise a family, whatever. I know I'm going to get ripped by AM fans after this, but I don't really care because the opinions of the sheep, they don't matter to a line. And Arkansas has got a bunch of lines in here. They're going to prove it on Saturday. KJ Jefferson's going to run all over these guys and probably pass for 300 yards. Oh, yeah. That See, your setup looks great, except for that one um, maroon helmet in the, the front row next to the Razorback one. If you want to knock that off, that's fine. I, you know, the, how, the, how many Aggies, angry Aggies, did you have to deal with that following week and, and maybe the whole damn season? Oh, it was vile, Mike, and deservedly so. This is not me. Listen, I asked for it. I'm one of those guys that understands this business. and I shot my mouth. And I Listen, I have – Maybe if I go to College Station and enjoy myself, I will pull back some of the things I've said. But it's still the hokiest college in the Southeastern Conference. They still have the weirdest tradition, the midnight yell. Their football team has dominated Arkansas's team in the last decade. I I realized that with the exception of 2010, 2011. And to watch Cam Little's field goal hit the post in the most unorthodox fashion I've ever seen, the top of it, and then it just – to go up slightly to the right. I wanted to jump out of Jerry Jones's press box because it probably would have been less painful than the mental anguish and frustration I went through the rest of the night because every single one of my Twitter DMs were filled with hatred and deserve it again, deservedly so. But yeah, it, I guess I just need to experience college station, but until then I'm, I'm just going to make fun of the Aggies because they're weird and they're just odd. How well are the Razorback fans taking that uh, now Bobby Petrino is there and is the offensive coordinator? Uh, did, did they want him back in Fayetteville, or, or do they think this is a damn disaster waiting to happen? You always get those textures and Twitter messengers throughout the week that send bring BP back. Some will think it's a joke. Some actually want that to happen. And if you didn't think there was incentive in, college, in, in the Southwest Classic between Arkansas and AM already – you just added to the pot. Jimbo is making a career-altering decision. This is either going to bode well, really well for a year or two, or it's going to blow up from the jump. They're going to have a massive skirmish, a massive yelling match on the sidelines at some point, and I just can't wait for it. Hopefully it's during the Arkansas A&M game, and one of A&M's quarterback throws a pick six for a game winner. They're just down by 30 points or something. That would be just glorious, but – I think that there are going to be elements that have success with those two, and then there's going to be elements of failures. I'm just waiting with bated breath until they actually fail and that thing blows up and Bjork gets canned, he gets canned, and AM's back to just being in the dump where they belong. All right, Ty, before you go, tell the audience where to find all your work. Well, you said I gained some fans in Knoxville, definitely didn't gain any college station at Ty Sports Radio on Twitter. Uh, you can follow our the Morning Rush uh, weekdays from 6 to 9 a.m. on ESPN Arkansas and hitthatline.com. And I'm excited because uh, about, I guess, less than two months from now, I'm going to be in Nashville hanging out with my guy, SCC Mike. We just The only thing that would make it better is if my guy, Cousin Shane, comes along for the ride. Shane, Tennessee's got a good ball club. You need to be down there for that tournament. There's going to be a lot of orange and white. It's a fun weekend, dude. you got to come down and stay with Mike that weekend. 
I promise I'll pass along the message. Hopefully I can get him to come. Let's go. <laughs> All right, so hopefully this interview goes better for Ty than the last one. Like I said, I mean, he was uh, <laughs> he was an A&M punching bag there for about a week or two after the Aggies beat Arkansas last season uh, <laughs> with his viral comments. But really appreciate Ty joining the show. Hope to have him back before long and uh, hey that's gonna do it for this week's shows we'll be back next weekend hopefully there's more news there always seems to be something going on in the sec and as long as there's news and notes and i can keep lining up guests we're gonna keep bringing you the content all off season long so stay tuned for that appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out we'll catch you on the next one Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.